Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 253 of the Sausage Factory. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very, very much for, for tuning in. Is it tuning in or listening or downloading? I don't know. It's one of those things. In this episode, I talked to Dave Hawkins of Jim Jam Games to chat about a clutch of 8-bit inspired games they've made over the years. Yeah, a bit of a, a, bit of a potpourri of titles rather than focus on just the one they made a few, so we thought we'd gather them, scoop them all up, and talk about them. Yay, it's a bit of difference there. Yeah, enjoy. But before we do that, let's delve into what else is under Kane and Rince's vast umbrella. On Monday, they have Kane and Rince. This week, they're doing Metal Gear Solid Five, for Phantom Pain. Metal Gear? So I have to say that every time I think of Metal Gear. I only ever finished Metal Gear 2 and 3. Never finished one, that was on the MSX, but, uh, yeah, yeah, weird. Anyway, um, actually, that's not true, is it? Metal Gear Solid was on PlayStation 1. I'm going mad. Sorry, I finished Metal Gear Solid 1 and 3. Didn't really get on with 2. I know, heretical. Anyway, moving swiftly on, we have on Wednesdays, Sound of Play, where they celebrate the music of video games, do have listened to that. It's very relaxing. It's hosted uh, by Leon and or Ryan. And uh, yeah, very, very, very good show. And on Thursdays, we have Playwright, where two people called Ryan invent games based on new ideas sent to them by their listeners. Most entertaining. And of course, on Friday, you have the Sausage Factory, but again, you you knew that um, because you're listening to the show now. If you want to know more about all of those shows, including this one, you can. You can go to canonrince.com. Yes, we have a website. We do. We do. And on that website, there is archives of all of the shows I just mentioned, including this one you listen to right now. There's also an active forum. I know. Strange, right? Something like that existing in 2019, but it does. And, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of other things there, like videos, features, reviews, all sorts. I've written a few. 
Next up is Twitch to talk about. Yes, we have a Twitch stream. There's on Fridays evenings we have MK home base. That's not Milton Keynes home base, by the way. Let's be clear. And he uh, he plays uh, a variety of uh, SNES games recently. He did uh, Castlevania 4. Played it to completion, which is quite a thing. He seemed to make it look very easy, but I would be rubbish at it. But yeah, very entertaining. On Sunday, we have... Uh, now, on Sunday morning, UK time, about 10am-ish, we have Darren Gargett just messing around on his Xbox, playing playing a variety of titles. So that's going to be fun. He's just going to start doing that this week. And uh, then there's me on Sunday evenings. This week, I believe, is Super Impossible Road on Apple Arcade. I'll be a first so for for the show, because we stream on all platforms. Trust me, on all sorts of platforms. But yes, yeah, the first time we're going to have Apple Arcade uh, on, on the show there, on the, on the stream. If you want to find out more about Kane and Rince's tr- uh, stream on Twitch, just go to twitch.tv forward slash Kane and Rince, or one word. Now, if you want to chuck us some money, or check us some money, chuck us some money, I don't know, throw some money at us, you can, once a month, for the minimum princely sum of one US dollar, which currently is around uh, 75 cents, 75 pence, cents, pence, uh, <laughs> or euros, uh, whatever, you can, uh, you go to Patreon, you subscribe to it there, and not only you get our gratitude but also extra content yes you get to cane and rinse unedited normally it's edited down to two hours uh for the general public but if you actually pay via patreon you actually get exclusive one week early episode of cane and rinse and a full you know the full extended edition rather than the edited one so yeah it's a good thing. There's also our platform exclusives we do as well. The last one we did, which is currently under, behind the paywall, is the Dreamcast. Most excellent. And of course, also, there's the monthly podcast that Jay and Leon, the founders of Gain and Rinse, host. And that's very entertaining too. Bit of a banter cast, which is something we generally don't do here at Gain and Rinse. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's fun and entertaining once a month. Update. It's kind of like a State of the Union address, but monthly rather than annually. So it's good. Well, enough about that. I've been wibbling on for ages. You want to hear about Dave Hawkins and his strange little... Well, I say strange. Really entertaining, actually. 8-bit games he's been making uh, for modern platforms. So should we do that? Chris, um, you are indeed from the distant past. Well, not so distant. About a week or so. Could you be so kind as to um, take it away? Thanks. Dave. Hi, Chris. Good to speak to you. Yeah. Who are you and, and, and what do you do? Oh, that's almost a philosophical question. It is, yeah. Um, but essentially, um, I'm I'm Dave Hawkins. I'm lead developer for Jim Jam's Games. Um, we're a small indie development company. Uh, there's three of us, which is myself, my wife, and a gentleman by the name of Mike Hood, who is our audio director. Um. As um, a person, I've been involved in the gaming industry for far too many years. Um, I think my first release was 1984, 85. Um, and what else would you like to know, really? I mean, okay, so let's do, we've now flowed into the second question, which is, how did you make your start? And obviously, you started off for a very, very long time ago. 
um, in the in the mid eighties when things were embryonic for the video game community. Or the I don't know some are, some could argue it's the seventies, but let's not go there. Honestly, for for the regular human, sane human being who doesn't like working in assembly too much, although you probably did back in the day. I did back in the day, yeah. Yeah, how did you make your start then? Please tell us. Um, well, I mean, we really are going back to, I think I was 12 years old now. Um, we're literally going back to the ZX81 here. Um, a good friend of mine at school, his parents were um, professors at Reading University, where, um, where I used to actually live. Uh, not the university, Reading. Um, and they bought him a ZX81 pretty much in the first sort of um, week of its release because they wanted him to get into computers and um, they saw personal computing as something that would grow, which is, I think, quite a foresight for them. And um, he went on holiday one time and basically said, you want to borrow my computer for the week? And from that moment on, I think I'd written my, um, my first piece of code within about um, two hours of having it and I was just addicted. I can relate to that. I really can because remember that the stuff. One of the first things that I when not because on the earliest eight bit computers I did encounter, what I can remember was a ZX eighty one, and uh, it was the same powering, having that granted terrible keyboard, but it was a keyboard. It was. It was a keyboard, and and, um, and in, I think for most people, I mean, I played games prior to that um, for the, the original console. So you're talking about things like Pong. Um, and I think we have one that had um, a plug-in rifle where you shot a dot on a screen. Um, but really, the ZX-81 was the first time you could truly look at something and almost sort of get into the the workings of, of games and computers and really sort of try to understand them. Yeah, uh, despite the wobbly RAM pack. But maybe <laughs> because... Uh, what did you do with that? Did I, I use BluTac. What did you do? Do you remember? Uh, BluTac, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, wads of it <laughs> wads of it there was all sorts of weird and contraptions that people would use like no just just blue tack you're fine um I, I actually had a friend who made um he, he made a container out of um metal meccano there you go that yep. sounds perfectly safe it, yeah that's what i thought at the time I, <laughs> that was about 12 getting metal near some loose electrical circuits <laughs> yeah that's gonna end well um <laughs> I, I actually had someone who clamped use a tape cassette holder for a clamp. I, it, was, it was all far too clumsy and complicated and wrong. But we all had to be engineers in the day. We did, yeah, for, for reasons. Thanks, thanks, Clive. But what was your first sort of game that went out the door then, sir? Um, oh, that's going back some time. I think, I think the actual first release um, was a game for the Spectrum, which was called Star Maker. Um, it was essentially a management, um, business management game revolving around the uh, music industry, which, as a teenager, I mistakenly thought I understood. Um, the game was marketed by R&R Software. Um, I don't know if you vaguely remember them. They were a small company based in Gloucester. There was lots of them back in the there day. Were. An awful lot of them, yeah. Some and, and some were for more, you know, robust than others. Uh, they certainly were. I mean, I think on our were around for quite a while. I yeah. I really have vague memories. I, I think I literally only met the um, uh, the owner once in the entire time that um, the game was released, and we we were making um, versions of various computers. There was 
there was an unreleased version for the C64 and another one for the C16. And, um, and I, they, they were just that kind of company, really, where um, I wouldn't say fluid, um, but um, uh, their quality varied. Yeah, curation of games is something that Apple now knows about, but uh, thanks to the Apple Arcade. Wow, what's, that, what's going on over there? Anyway, um, but... Um, it's uh, yeah, it's some some uh, software houses they used to call them. I seem to remember. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Yeah, they they didn't quite didn't quite get it, but some stayed the course. Was it this style maker was like on the back of, I say on the back, but it's like inspired by a football manager and Mr. Uh, that and his, style of game. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of very. Um, it, these days, it would have been point and click. It was uh, literally a series of um, options that would come through. Um, and you could order records, release new ones, um, uh, create merchandising, book concerts, um, and you'd essentially just the idea was to um, get a number one single and number one album uh, at number one, and yeah. you had to basically make your uh, group more popular. Um, if I actually recall, the most important part of the game was um, there was a new section which. You'd have random news events, and they could um, affect either the popularity or records of the um, group. You could um, gain or lose money from them, um, so that kind of thing. Hmm. So not not quite so much um, football manager, uh, perhaps more sort of. Um, I'm literally trying to think something a bit comparative, but I don't know if you recall a company called CRS, which used to make. Um, they generally made a lot of war games and things like okay. that. But yeah, they also did a series of strategy games. It would be more along those lines where uh, where you're you're playing one option and then another option and you're just almost in a way like a factory of um, you, you've done one month, this is the next month, and it's sort of a wash and repeat style thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I can see you know, the, the, definitely the appeal for that kind of thing to try to you know, create a model and then go, okay, this is the this is a model of what, you know, if if then, and lots of logic statements, and if all these things come true, then, you know, you you go up this uh, part of the tree, whereas if you actually make some stupid decisions, you go down this part of the tree. And hey, that's, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously, looking back, I mean, it, it was crammed into um, 48K, so it was never going to be sort of a, a, an amazing in-depth game. Yeah, the average uh, size of someone's signature on an email. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, those days. Yeah. Always been an email. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, but you made, you progressed from that, and you, you obviously worked all those years in, in the industry. Is that, is that true? Or um, uh, there, there was some time away from it, and I'd say maybe mid-90s, um, I wasn't really involved. Um, right. Much. I mean, we had, um, I mean, obviously straight after um, Star Maker, there, were, um, there was an adventure game called Wizards Warrior, um, and there were a couple of other um, smaller games that um, uh, were either commissioned or written as, um, you know, like sample pieces for cassettes and things like that. Um, but I think as everybody who's been in the industry for a long time will tell you, there was a sort of period towards the very um, 
late 80s, early 90s, when the sort of backroom program was being pushed out as companies became um, far bigger and they a lot of work went in-house. Um, so I'd, I'd say there's probably a period where it was becoming harder and harder to get something that, that an individual had actually programmed um, out into the world. And... And then you've got the, the sort of period as well, the things like the Spectrum and the, um, the Commodore 64, they, they, they were dying. And although you had things like the Amiga, it didn't really sort of revitalize the market in a way. It, it just was a, a greater machine for something that in my eyes at the time was sort of dying out. Um, so I guess really it would be that sort of period when, although I, I do make games at home and things like that, I kind of realized that at the end of the day you've got to eat um and so i probably joined that period would say i spent maybe only around a year um, in a five-year period actually doing anything along the years of sort of lines of coding right okay interesting period that mid-90s to the uh mid noughties as some stupid people call it <laughs> but um sorry that's wrong but I think it became full circles as people suddenly realised, wait, do this corporate stuff, these games are getting a bit bland. Um, let's let's uh, create platforms to allow people to experiment with other genres and, and just let them these small teams flourish. And uh, ironically, it was Valve, who I think kind of started it with Steam, and then you had um, the other you know titles, that were, uh, iOS mm. opening up, Xbox more importantly. Open up their uh, like you can make games for 150 megabytes, okay? Yeah, and then that suddenly went wait all these and one of my favourite games on the Xbox 360, which I recently uh, played at EGX. I was, I was hosting an event there. Is uh, Mount Your Friends? If you don't know it, look it up. <laughs> I'll have to look it up on my phone. Yeah, have a look it up. It's, wow, uh, it's I actually yeah, it's fantastic. It's a tiny, teeny, tiny indie game. But it's still one of my favourites, and of course, Geometry Wars, lest we forget. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So uh, there we are. It, it's obviously things came, you know, came round in the mid two uh, thousands. Is that when you returned? Do you think? Or yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, um, it, I mean, <sighs> Jim Jobs Games is an actual sort of uh, company name. It, mm. It's been around for sixteen, seventeen years. Um, although it, for quite a while it was almost sort of a plain thing, it was just um, a, a name to associate with um, games that we make for fun, um, rather than an actual commercial entity. Right, right. Um, uh, but I really returned, um, probably about 2005, 2006, when there's a, a company that still exists now um, who make development um, game development tools um, called the game creators um, and in the early 2000s they had a first person shooter um, engine which was very sort of drop and drag um, and uh, that was actually called F FPS creator and I'd say probably around 2007 2008 um, I started to get involved I, I, I had been chatting to the um, to the owners and the lead programmer, a guy called Lee Bamber, um, on and off um, over the internet, and it sort of led into me putting more and more code into um, the, the FPS Creator engine. Um, so I think that's probably where I 
eventually realised I, I was heading back towards game making. That's nice. I, I thought it was telling you're telling a story. It's like, yeah, I'd like to be in this smaller team's more sort of intimate experience and sort of direct. I have responsibility. I'm taking ownership of this stuff. And uh, then it didn't turn around until, until like I said, um, Apple made it iOS and, uh, mm. and of course Android and of course uh, Xbox, and it all sort of flourished. And here we are. Here oh, we def- are. definitely true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it has um, certainly turned around. I mean, the, for the indie market, I mean, I think really since probably 2000, and I'd say 2012 onwards, really, it's mm. really a chance when small companies have been able to get noticed and like you say it's companies like valve and um and now we're looking at um things like the epic store which uh, at the moment i mean despite what the epic store actually say they do seem to be focusing very much on triple a titles um but i think once they become established that could possibly be another uh, route for indies yeah yeah okay well, I think it kind of brings us up to date. We all, everyone knows the story of the last 10 years or so of, of indie games, and I'm, I'm a huge proponent of them. Of course I am. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, indeed, but uh, I, uh, I like all, all of the games. In fact, I was saying to someone, the only, only game type I don't like, because I like board games as well, and pen and paper RPGs and mm-hmm. stuff, and I play those Oh, it's the same here. I'm, I'm a big war gamer. Yeah, I, and that's the one I don't play, my friend, because I go... It's like, did he get a tape measure out? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's the tape measure for? Is it, <laughs> are, you, are you putting up curtains? Are you, are you putting, what are you doing? So I just, it's, it's uh, not rational. Dave, it's not rational. It's not rational, but it's just me. What are you doing? I, Put it I, down. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm much more into house walls. We've never, never been big sticklers to the walls when we play. <laughs> but no, big, uh, big fan of that. So, you know, it's just... Uh, just embracing games as a whole which has led me to make this show in the first place but um, anyway third question this one is a toughie but you've listened to the show before so you know what's coming <laughs> I've got a big idea yeah so um, what do you believe are Jim Jam Games biggest influences what's the thing that drives you know what is your anchor point what is the thing you muse what is your muse there you go and my muse. Um, well, as an actual sort of team, we, we do discuss a lot of ideas, so it's not really just one person. Um, I think if it was fair, I think the team would agree that I, I tend to lead with most of the ideas, partly because I'm thinking, I want to write this now. Um, and obviously, you had a look at some of our games, thank you very much. Um, and you can see that we're fairly eclectic in the styles that we go down. Um, we don't stick with one particular genre. Um, but certainly for Jimmy and James as a company, we aim to make retro-inspired games um, and also to keep those games affordable so that people can uh, pretty much pick up a game which is in a way kind of throwaway, but also something that you could still play for hours um, without actually um, literally breaking your bank doing it. So I'd say that if we were to have an influence, that would be it. It would be to try to bring um, the retro feel of gaming um, back, really, and, and to a wider audience. It kind of reminded me of going into Dovet Smith's, no, correction, uh, Martin's newsagents, seeing the carousel and seeing those vast array of games for one ninety nine. 
Yeah. And that's, that's, that, that is probably what we're aiming for. Mm. Yeah. And then you go, well, it could be it could be an absolute stormer like Finders Keepers, or it could be the last V8. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the both of those Finders Keepers are excellent. Uh, yes. And the other one? No. No. It sounded great. Theme tune's brilliant. Just, just uh, no. There were no. some bad ones out there. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's the thing is you didn't know that was the joy of it. That was the joy. In many ways, yeah, I think it is. It's it's, it's to discover something new. Yeah, and being able to do it without thinking. Well, like, I've just I've just spent sixty pounds on on a game. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I don't know many people who actually do buy games when they're first out. Now, I think obviously, our people, particularly on consoles, I think there's a market. But PC gamers seem very reticent to spend um, a, a huge amount of money in one go now. Yeah, there is a lot of talk about that. People see a game, and go, "That's good. I'll wait for the sale now." There is some I mean, games. Um, yeah. I don't want to go into um, too much into our financial side of it, but um, our sales are very much tied in with um, whether or not we've got something on offer. Yeah. Whereas if you game like Factorian or Factorio, mm-hmm. yeah, they will never discount it. Their argument is, it's 20 quid. What? Yeah, but when? No, 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 no. It's 20 quid. I, I, I can see that philosophy, but I have to say yeah. I've never bought it. No, no, but it's a really good game. But the, It looks really good. It's fantastic, but they're like, it's 20 quid. But how much? No. Do we have to have yeah. this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> now stop it. Stop it. So, no. I just, for me, when I was playing all your four games that you sent over, it just felt so much like getting four gems from that carousel in a Martins when I was oh, like really nice teenager. It was just like, because there were some stinkers, but there were some absolute gems to counter it, you know? And it's just, when you got those and you just played them for hours and it was only two quid. Yep. Which, granted, back then it was probably worth about a tenner, but even still. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't seem like it at the time. No, we didn't know that. We didn't know any different, you know. Anyway. Fourth question then, and this okay. one might be difficult for you to answer, or maybe not. I don't know. And you can go, and it also it can be a current uh, thing or someone from the past. But um, what developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? Oh, that's that's difficult. Um, yeah, that really is difficult. I I say, I mean, there are a lot of um, a lot of developers that I was inspired by. Um, uh, Mike Singleton certainly was somebody that I I thought um, the work that he did on the Spectrum and um, particularly the games like Doors of Midnight and um, Doom's Arch Revenge but even going back to his early games like Snake Pit um, he really um, understood uh, how to make quality games um, with very limited resources so I, certainly I, him um, yeah and um, absolutely I'm just going to absolutely back up them Mike Singleton sadly no longer with us it's very sad yeah uh, but uh, he was an absolute visionary he not only understood games and their what they really could do and he'd made the spectrum sing I don't know how what wizardry he put into that but he would make uh, it's just unbelievable what he did with Lords of Midnight I still remember playing that game for the first time and just being completely sucked in uh, to that world he created and still trying to do a military victory to this day I've never done <laughs> haven't you yeah it was quite difficult I, 
I mean, the game. Uh, I, I think I probably lost half my childhood to that game. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I can do the regular, you know, the, the one with the ice crown smashing thing. That's easy. You can do it in twenty minutes. Well, not oh, easily. Minutes. Yeah, yeah oh, but... I have to say, actually, to be honest, um, when I first beat Lords of Midnight, it was purely by accident. Um, I, I had the ice crown. And I just stopped on um, the Lake of Mirrors, I think it is, where you destroy it without realising it, because the character um, needed to rest. <laughs> and the game ended, and I thought, what? What? <laughs> Bloody hell. No far flame. How do you manage that? <laughs> it's a bit lame. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird. Oh, well. Anyway, you had another one. I lied up. Yes, I was going to actually say, I mean... Um, I've always been a, a big fan of text adventures. Um, I, I think I actually sent you um, Eye of Bark, which is our latest release. Yes, so I'm going to um, we'll talk about that in depth later, but yes. Okay. Um, so, uh, really, I mean, there's so many um, amazing, um, talented people from sort of the 80s um, for the text adventure um, era, but I would certainly say Scott Adams. Um, just the depth of his work um, really... It really just inspired me, I think, to um, to actually get into the idea of um, making more complex programming and um, developing things like parsing and um, and actually just wanting to stretch computers further. What what, what titles did he do to sew the list? Uh, well, Scott was Adventure International, so there were so many of them. Um, I think you've got to start off with um, Adventure Land, um, but then they also did, um, towards the end, they did a series called Quest Probe, which were... Um, uh, text adventures inspired by uh, Marvel Comics. Um, yeah, uh, I still remember playing, I think it was a Spider-Man one. Yeah, I've got to say, actually, the Quest Probe series were probably some of his weakest work. Mm. Um, but uh, I think there's one for Power Island. I don't, there's, there's about 30 of them or something like that. Okay. No, it's um, that's a good shout-out because... Uh, well, they call it interactive fiction now, don't they? That's what they call it now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think there's a bit, a bit of a debate about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, last question then, and you know, this okay. uh, this one's my favourite, kind of, because it gives me an inkling of what gets your juices flowing, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, what are you playing right now? <laughs> Literally right now. Well, there are two options actually. Um, I've recently gone back to playing um, Fallout New Vegas nice I hadn't played for about a year and a half and I realised I'd never uninstalled it from my Steam library which made me think I obviously want to play it right right so, but I'm, I'm so so into just the beginning but I, I've literally just got to Prim right so are uh, you so. at all intrigued by The Outer Worlds made by the same people um I've got to say, I, I, I find their quality fluctuates. Um, this is true. Um, some of their games do make me a bit nervous. <laughs> but apparently it's a spiritual successor to uh, New Vegas. That's why I mention it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done. But if you like... No, um, I, I'm intrigued, but um, yeah. I, I've got to be honest. I, I have sort of so little free time with... Um, mm. with, with work and with the family and things like that. Indeed. indeed. Gaming itself... Um, I, I really sort of need to set aside um, a couple of hours for it, and, and if I'm lucky, I'll get through that. Yeah, yeah, I understand completely. But uh, good shout on New Vegas, I have to say. So yeah, it is a stunning game. Yeah, yeah, for all sorts of subtle reasons. Yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah, people think, oh, this is Fallout Three, isn't it? No, <laughs> no, no, never say that. <laughs> no, no, but people do. Um, I, I don't know. 
Mr. Their Senichin, bomb. granted. But other than that, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's way, way more to it than... Not there's anything particularly wrong with 3. I loved 3. Right up until the last five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> and mean, then thinking, what? <laughs> yeah, it was like, one minute you're doing this awesome stuff with giant robots throwing nukes everywhere and yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. What, I think, what? to be honest, that's almost sort of a pattern that a lot of their games follow. That um, you love it up to a certain point and then you just think that they gave up. Yeah, and that was Bethesda at that time. Or Zenimax, <laughs> I don't know, I get confused. But uh, but yeah, New Vegas as a, as a special special experience up there with the Bioware. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, yes, Bioshock. That's what I meant to say. Bioshock. But uh, I liked all of them. Not everyone did. But anyway, we digress. Or do we? Maybe not. Um, so, anything else before we move on to the second half of the show? Um, well, actually, yeah, I'm, um, I'm kind of sort of playing. Are you, there's a game. Um, Oh, going back about five or six years ago um, by a company called NCSoft, which was um, City of Heroes, which was an <gasps> online superhero game. Yes, capes yeah. and spandex wearing joy. That's the one. Well, I don't know whether you know whether that's resurfaced. It has. Yes, and I've been playing that quite a bit recently. Wow. Yeah, it's so very, very much enjoying that again, bringing back some very happy memories. That's cool. Um, it's also kind of got a bit of a uh, soft spot for it because um, my my wife and I discovered it when she was pregnant because we were looking for something else to do when we couldn't really go out anywhere. And we discovered this game online. So um, now, eight years later, I'm getting to play it with the child that she had. <laughs> wow. So that's kind of a bit of a soft spot there, really. That's, that's, that's yeah. I'm not crying, you are. No, you <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Um I've got to confess, I did play a lot of. Um, I think at the time I was doing Star Wars Galaxies. Don't, don't ask. Like, yeah, yeah. I was Imperial. I, I yeah. still, I still remember people wandering in, going, well, "Can I, can I get trained in something?" Yeah, by all means. And they walk up and go, "Are you Rebel?" Yes. And shoot them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> There's a at at walking over there. What are you thinking? <laughs> It was a bit like that, wasn't it? It was just chaos, absolute chaos. But that was that was my thing at the time. So I was I was flying around the galaxy doing weird stuff, and then and then and then and of course there's WoW. But then again, who didn't play WoW at one point? Anyway, uh, I, I had so many problems with that. We um, it's funny actually. It was the first ever I think we actually ever tried because um, so my wife really loves them as well. Um, and uh, Mike, our musical director, he um, God, I've known him so many years now. Um, and it was the first game we all tried together. Um, and for some inexplicable reason, um, every time we tried it, all three of our computers in separate um, areas. I mean, uh, I live in France now and Mike was in the UK and we all got major viruses. Wow. Every single time. Um, it was when, if you recall, they used to use um, more of a peer-to-peer system for sharing. Oh. And we were riddled with viruses. And after about a week of it, I uh, trying to clear them out. I gave up and we never went near it again. Weird. Yeah. Everyone else said they'd never had any problems, but it no, just seems no, so no. that all three of us would get them. That's terrible. No, no, I've never had any problems. I've played it. I that that game. Anyway, take a drink, everyone. I mentioned well. I haven't done it for several episodes. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm sorry if I've offended anyone. No, no, I haven't offended anyone. Too cold, no. Right. That's it then. Let's move on to the second half where we talk in depth about Jim Jam games. Okay. 
So, we're going to start. Yeah, we're going to start. Regular listeners will go, hang on, talk about multiple games. I am, because last normally we focus on certain aspects of games and we break them apart, not not to the denigration or to 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 you know uh, basically dilute the experience. Far from it. If anything, we try to enhance it. But in this case, we've got four games by Jim Jam Games because that's what Dave sent me, and it's definitely a thing. And I just want you, Dave, if you can, what is Jim Jam Games really all about? You give us some clues and you build something. Just give us the, you know, describe what you do. Um, well, as I said, I think as I sort of touched on earlier, the, the essential aim of Jim Jam Games is to is to bring back um, a certain style of retro gaming. And um, and I think you'll sort of summarise it very quickly. You'd have to say that um, our intention is to put a modern twist on um, a very retro um, style of games. So whether or not it's uh, with the side-scrollers, um, I can't actually remember which um, which games I sent you. I think I sent you Solar Wind, Firebird, um, I of Borak and the Amazing Adventures of Lady Fanny Butterstone. That, yeah, that's the one. So there we go. We've got um, four very different genres, but um, we also have um, Solstice, which um, is very much um, a Lord's Midnight inspired war game. Um, there's a game called Fungoids, which is um, pretty much um, a remake of a ZX81 game called Fungoids. Right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, and there's also um, a game called Bees Knees, which really was one of the first games we decided to make as homage to pretty much all of the um, Spectrum games of that era. You you could very much say it was sort of cross between um, games like um, The Birds and the Bees and then elements of the um, the ultimate games, fractions such as games like... Psst, um, possibly even a little bit of jetpack and stuff, and there's a style in there. Um, so that, that, in a nutshell, that's what we aim to do. We aim to make classically styled games um, with a slightly modern twist, but without sort of going straight into the AAA um, look and feel. Yeah, that's it. That, that's really it's very familiar, and that there is. Familiarity. Then there's this, this little tweaks that you go, oh, all right, that, that's that's different. That's not what was would no. So, ah. and not a negative, but it's just like you've just you've. It's a bit like making a great dish, like a very old, like familiar dish of whatever like food or something. I'm not going to describe. Maybe a toad in a hole or something. And then right in the middle of it, you put this massive like pineapple. Like, <laughs> That, that sounds horrible. <laughs> well, I know, but it's not again bad idea. But just a, a strange ingredient or a modern ingredient. Okay, I'm really making a hash of this. Let's move on. Everyone will understand what I'm talking about. So the first game I want to talk about is the Amazing Adventures of Lady Fanny Witherstone. Okay, which is a lovely sort of very, very, very long and silly title. <laughs> that was the intention. Actually, we had a, we had a long debate about that. <laughs> We have to thank my wife for that. Who came up with it? And um... well, it could have been the adequate adventures or the adequate, you know, stroll of, um, you know, Fanny. I, I think. I think overall, when we when when we sort of settled on the name, um, it it was more that sort of um, pulp fiction feel. Yeah. 
and we're talking literally not Tarantino here, but um, the, the original sort of um, 1800s books. Yeah. Yeah, there's a strange sort of typeset and difficult to read, but yeah, it was a thing. Mm. The, 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 the embryonic beginnings of what we now know as comic books and that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. It's a platformer. It is. Uh, it uses the same design principles as 8-bit games. I'm thinking of Technician Ted. Yeah. Uh, Monty Mole. And uh, those kind of early... Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I think you're very much right in thinking that. I mean, we we, we took inspiration from an awful lot of um, uh, a lot of games, but I particularly wanted with Fanny Featherstone to uh, make a game that didn't just have one set path. There were, there were multiple ways to it. You get to um, manipulate an awful lot of um, items and objects. I mean, for example, you um, you get supplies dropped to you by your um, your man. Um, yes. He flies over. Yes. Um, and you get things like spring boots, which you can then choose to use at a certain point. So you're you're not going to be constantly stuck in one area thinking there's only one way to solve this. No, that's what I was quite liberating. Like, wait, I could just go, yeah, up you go. But what was really intriguing was it is it's very hard and it's a very, very difficult game. And uh, I know why you did it, because that's what they were like. It is. That is exactly why. We, we have had a lot of people who say that the game's very, very difficult. It's very challenging. And unfortunately, that, that is how they were. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it would not have been, I think, fair to the memory of games like that if we'd taken the approach of, um, well, well, we'll dumb it down. No, it doesn't work. Um, because you could have done, but then you would have been yet another platformer. No offence to all the other platformers we've had on the show and that kind of thing. There's some magnificent platformers. Oh, there's incredible ones out there. Yeah, uh, as you well know. But, you know, I just really, what I loved about it was that it had both, it had too much going on, but that's what they were like. There was mm. just a complete cacophony of stuff. I don't know how to sound, but it was just a, just like, why is that thing bouncing up and down? I don't know, it just is. Yeah, exactly, it. that is what they were like. And, and you, you, you could have, um, uh, when you've got a game like Jet Set Willy, where, I mean, at one point I think that the spinning bunnies, isn't there, and, um, and saws coming up through the floor. Yeah. Just like, you know, I never forget in Jet Set Willy, which you and I know is actually a broken game. Yes, indeed, very broken. <laughs> and not very good, really. It's the really and there's better platformers that you know followed it but there was some very vicious penguins and there were yeah some very vicious penguins very vicious penguins and uh i just like you know another one is um rick dangerous which is more of a Mm. 16-bit game in my view than an 8-bit one but that game that's just a memory puzzle it's Mm. just like you walk along or some spikes i don't know that well you didn't you do now but that's not that's not fair. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, the, it's a Rick Dangerous is a good point, actually, because it, I think it was one of it was the beginning, in a way, of um, uh, trying to make games simpler for people. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was the embryonic sort of again using that word, but I can't help but use that word when I'm talking about Jim Jam Games. Is that it's sort of like it's a it's a staring down into the past through the uh, eyes of the present while adding just a little bit of modern design sensibility about it. And 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the big spears that come up and you just get hit, and oh, you're dead. What? Deal with it. Yeah. No! But, oh, there's a drip that's fallen on you. Okay. Oh, look, there's fall damage. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, you you be, probably won't be surprised, but um, so many people who've played it have said, I died when I fell off. So, wh- wh- why'd you have that? Well, because you've just fallen off a cliff. <laughs> you're just falling several stories. That's what happens when you fall far. Yeah. Have you. I mean, my my retort is: Have you played Dark Souls? And oh yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> People seem to have a different uh, different approach to something in three D as well, don't they? It's sort of yeah, because yeah, they can you know relate to it. But it's just like oh, it's just a little two D sprite. This is not Spelunky. Besides, yeah. you do fall when you go too far in Spelunky as well. So I, I will say, I mean, despite all the advantages, Final Fantasy is fairly unforgiving, as you you pointed out. Mm. Um. But I say I don't think I'd have it any other way. I really wouldn't. No, it's definitely an homage to that era. I mean, I've played those games recently, and some of them are entertaining, some of them not so much. Mm. Uh, but you've actually kept the the joy of it, the ludicrous of them, it's a little bit all, and added some extra bits to make it even more ludicrous because you <laughs> just built on built on that. That's that's. I think the whole thing is just a lovely joke. It's great. Because that's that's it's just like when I'm playing it, I just smile throughout the whole experience. Even when I'm getting like, oh, I'm dead. Well, that's, that's yeah, of course I am. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not Ghosts and Goblins hard because that you and I know that game was hard because they had to put ten pence pieces into the machine. Yeah, you did. Okay, so. <laughs> and and you had your continue countdown and oh yeah. There's a chap because actually is uh, called um, One Credit, and he can actually do Ghosts and Goblins with his one one credit. Wow! Yeah, think yeah. on that for the moment. It's a wonderful game. Don't get me wrong, just brutally hard. It so, is brutally hard, yeah. Firebird. Next game. Next game. A lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Firebird. Then so borrows a lot from Gallagher and the collection. From what I can think, kind of. Um. um is that right? In a way, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think really, I mean, what what we sort of set out to do, though, I mean, the real sort of army of um, Firebird is it was sort of written um, in-house um, as a sort of personal project, really, in many ways, because of particularly my love, but also the, um, uh, the rest of the team's love of um, such games. I mean, my... Um, uh, I'm really big fan of the. Uh, I mean, I remember going um, to, out to play the original Space Invaders, um, and it, even when I was sort of about eleven or twelve, um, uh, I remember sort of sitting around actually with one of my teachers, and we were discussing um, what you could really do if you had extra processing power. And at the time when we were at school, we had things like the BBC uh, Micro and things like that, but you, they were never going to be capable of making the kind of games. Um, say the scale of um, Firebird for shoot 'em up. So really, what I'm saying is not really inspired by one particular game, but um, it's it's an amalgam of everything I I've always loved about the genre. Yeah. So you you are looking at Galga, you're looking at elements of Phoenix. There's some mm. uh, Mooncrester in there. Um, obviously, original Space Invaders and Galaxians. Just 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 the whole gambit, really. Yeah, there's definitely Mooncrestor in there. Oh, yes, I was going to mention that one. Thank you. Um, but uh, it's the power-ups. It just gets nuts. It does. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. It's just, what's what's going on? And um, that's that's what I really loved. But what I also noticed was the thing that 
really struck me was the speed. Mm. It's it's faster. Did you do it deliberately? Why did you pick up the speed? Why did you make the pace so fast? Um, I think that was really just sort of a balance we reached as um uh, as we were sort of developing it and as as it sort of moved forward. And I said, in a way, the odd thing about it is that we never really intended to release it commercially. Um, but we had such good feedback from people who were playing it. We just thought. Uh, it, well, it's it's certainly worth a try, and it's it's actually turned out to be um, our second most successful release. So we obviously made the right choice there. Um, but as to why we made it so fast, um, I think I just felt that it needed to sort of be like pulse pumpingly fast, really, and to to really meet the level of chaos that the game sort of reflects. Yeah, I think that's fair, um, and it sort of. Follows on for my ne- for the next title that I looked that I played and uh, um, was Solar Wind. Okay, uh, yep. And uh, this is um, initially it looks like a pretty sort of faithful uh, homage to Scramble, which mm. is a which is a great uh, arcade game of old, which I get I'm pretty good at until I get to stage three, and then it all goes south because <laughs> I just can't deal with ceilings, Dave. Just can't. Anyway. <laughs> And the bouncy ships. It's just like, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just so annoying. But uh, it starts off, but then there's, then there's all the power-ups. And it's, it's also, there's a lot of sound and there's a lot of announcements of all things. Everything is happening. Oh, your shield's gone down. And it just goes on. It's just, it's just really, the upgrades are so powerful. It gets to the point where you can't actually see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta ask, what, what was, was that your intention? Was it what, what's what was the, the thinking behind throwing all those upgrades at people who were successfully blowing everything up? And I particularly like the um, the achievements, by the way. Um, well done, first blood. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really good stuff. But I did enjoy the the the, the initial uh, uh, achievements. They were uh, again really 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 very dry humour. Good stuff. But um, yeah, talk us. What what was the thinking behind that? Why did you turn? Why do you get to a point where your ship becomes a death machine that's almost well, unstoppable? In, in, a way it does. in the beginning, I mean, there were there were twenty levels. Um, so yeah, you certainly start off with that. But I'm also once you lose um, uh, lose your ship, you lose all your power ups. So yeah. it becomes a kind of case of you can't afford to let up for a single moment. Um. You get very brief respites um, after you destroy the um, big bosses at the end of the level, where you, you usually get maybe two or three seconds um, as you're um, moving into a new area. Yeah. Um, but again, I kind of felt that that you, you you're talking about something that should be fast. You're you're looking at um, a, a firefight, and I think it should keep that kind of um, excitement going and and keep putting pressure on the player. I mean. Perhaps there is a lot of chaos in um, in Solar Wind, but in many ways, you look at games like R Type and um, and the sort of the similar uh, Gradius and things like that. Um, I think I've got those Gladius Gradius, um, but that kind of game, and I think they possibly would have been that hectic if processing power had allowed it. Yeah, I mean, one of the earliest examples is Ikaruga. Right, mm. was celebrated. I mean, it's up and down shooter, but that's chaos. I mean, 
they really lent into and created the concept. I think actually Gradius did, or Nemesis, or it was bloody called. Mm. Had the bullet hell concept. Yeah, it did, very, yeah. Very, very slow moving bullets. What's that? Oh, just don't touch it. <laughs> it's moving very slowly. Oh, no, just, just don't. It's not. Is it a power up? No, seriously, it's not. <laughs> the big glowy orange thing, that's a power up. But, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, I just really, it just, again, all these games, they just make me smile. Just, they really do. They just. Oh, it's good to hear. It's just, that's, that's why I wanted to get you on to chat about these, because it's just like, well, this is just uh, the joy of just pure. Um, arcade action and destruction, and also reward for you know uh, not dying, basically, mm. and also the, the 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 aspect of knowing where you are and where you're going to be. That's critical in uh, a video game. I mean, the best example of that is one of the purest arcade games of all time. Still stands to this day. Is Robotron? Mm, uh, definitely. You, how does it work? Well, where are you going? Over there. Okay, fine. Is it safe? No. Well, then make it safe. Okay. Now, where are you now? Oh, there. Oh, uh, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that very sums it up. <laughs> you know, and that's what I tell people. You know, when they're playing twin stick shooters, know where mm. you are and know where you're going. Yeah, that, that is that is basically it. Yeah, we play. Remember playing first person shooters on the PC. And this epiphany hit me. It wasn't. I'm going to claim credit. Someone else sort of told me. Well, you just point, yeah, then shoot. <laughs> <laughs> what? Just point. Is is the enemy in your crosshair? Yeah. Then you shoot. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Just the, the simplest, simplest thing. Like, don't, no spray and spray it doesn't work. Point, then yeah. shoot. Uh, I mean, when you're sort of looking at uh, the original sort of FPS things, I think. It's really when games started to take into consideration sort of limited ammo and things like that. Um, yeah. And I, people initially found that quite difficult to cope with. Yeah, yeah. And then the reloading. Thanks, Halo. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> is that right? There's another Halo, is there? Oh, yeah. Well, no, I'm saying it's just that, you know, that's what reloading, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose it was. Halo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the two guns. That's all you had. Only two weapons. And it said it. Yeah, yeah. Why is the pistol so powerful? Shut up! <laughs> it's futuristic. Yeah, it's future pistol. Go away. <laughs> right. So, last question for last game, and I really want to keep this. Um, want, want to talk about this? Give, this, give it some. Give it the attention it deserves, Dave. Okay, good. It's the Eye of Borek, which okay. understands recent uh, uh, release. Um, when it started. I didn't know what to expect, really. I had an inkling, but I just thought, no, let's just steal ourselves for what this is. And uh, the saw the screen, and you, you're in a hut, and there's a picture, and there's four little things, and icons at the bottom. And I immediately went, oh, it's Guild of Thieves. Well, that, that, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, now immediately I've got that blue box in my in my head. Yeah. And that was one of the most celebrated games in the 16-bit era. I think for, it was. It was. For the ST and an Amiga, I think. But I had an ST at the time. I had an Amiga. Yeah. I, I defected eventually because you had to, but started with the yeah, ST. Sadly. Yeah, because I, you know, come to my senses. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, can I say, you know, it was the one that first came out. Anyway, just, just another time. 
Guild of Thieves, then. It isn't. But I have Borek. Borrows from that. But it's a massive, massive enhancement. Of course it is. Because they're playing it on a computer which could run 20 Atari STs. Exactly. (laughs) Without breaking a sweat. Um, So, um, what struck me was, first of all, the parser. That's the text, by the way, everyone, if you're not familiar. That's the, the, the way in which player interacts with the environment you are given a text a paragraph or two of text describing what's going on and what you can see and you can interact with it by actually typing in various commands into and the the commands can be relatively straightforward or more complex Uh, and I was doing all sorts of things like get all what all, come on (laughs) perhaps really it's uh, the best way to describe it is that it's how we could advertise it really but you communicate with the game using English sentences as opposed to button presses and things like that yeah yeah. and what struck me though was that when I went to area to area one of the things that drove me to play text adventures back in the day Mm. more than anything and I've said this before on the show so apologies for repeating myself for everyone but it's exploring I love seeing the new screens the reason I played The Hobbit for so long because I wanted to see the new scene Oh look! I mean, yeah, one of my favourites is the when you're in the barrels in the in the elven prison. That was great. That was very. Pretty. If you didn't crash. If you didn't crash, no. And uh, uh, Thorin didn't do something. And it was just bug-ridden piece of poop, but it was way ahead of its time. Oh, definitely. And uh, it's not a great game, to be fair. But it's still the story, and you know, me, it got me to read the Hobbit. So there's that. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'd, I'd already read The Hobbit several times by that point, but yeah, it was it definitely was a game that uh, it, it changed the genre. Yeah, yeah. But those screens, those images, and you do the similar thing here. However, you do something more. You add sound. That that really struck me as like you go into an area and enter, and it's just like wherever you are. Not only are you reading the text, but you're also hearing the sound. Like if you hear river nearby, or you hear the tweeting of birds if you're in a forest and and it's just it's just so wonderful uh, it's a lovely lovely little tweak that you've added um, I just want to ask this is a pure text adventure absolutely but what other aspects without spoiling any content of any kind what other aspects of current game design do you think you've infused into the eye of Boric Boric sorry um, well in many ways it's so retro I mean it's it's I mean, we're we're literally going back to sort of 1975, I think, when Clothill Woods originally created the um, text adventure. So we're going back so far now. Mm. Um, I think I wouldn't say we took any particular features from um, games. I mean, obviously, we've been inspired a lot. I mean, uh, whether you're taking um, some of the original Infocom games where um, we we were very inspired by the power of the parser um, from Infocom, and that's something we've tried to reflect I still want to make it um, a more advanced version. Um, there are some things I would like it to be able to do that it doesn't, um, and that may materialise in uh, later games. Um, but I think, if anything, what what we try to do is to create a game design where it, as many elements as possible are created in the atmosphere whilst being unobtrusive. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's the subtleties... That's what mm, the subtleties, yeah. Yeah. Just the, um, 
the speed of it, his, his responsiveness. I mean, that's one of the things that did drive me mad. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's got a load of screen there. Hang on. Uh, I'll just go make a cup of tea. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, oh, that's nice. I can barely see what it is. It's a blob. Okay, great. Thanks. What was I doing? Oh, I've forgotten now. Um, I did love the fact that I got a bit of pen and paper and started drawing a map. That was great. We had a long debate about that actually. Um, a few people were saying, "Well, can't can't you have an auto map?" And I I am denied about it. And I I just thought, no, <laughs> no, you there's, can't. There's apps for that. You can you can run little maps, and there's all sorts of because there's there's a great great Twitch channel that I follow, mm. um, and he specialises in playing internet sort of the PC games from old. Right. You know, and they're all like, and he does text adventures as well. And he has a special tool that he uses to draw maps with. So it's not part of the game, it's a special oh. separate tool. So if you want to do that, knock yourself out. Yeah. Uh, but I. Get a pen and paper. That's what I did, because that's what I did back in the day. So you know the way you could do it. You have, I had a method where I drew a box and I drew lines coming out from it. Yeah. And, and if it was going up or down, I drew little steps. Oh, little steps. I always, yeah. I, I always use it. For some reason, up and down has to be a diagonal for me. No, interesting. No, I did little steps. Um, but, because, um, you know, it's me. Uh, but it just brought back lovely memories. And I definitely saw lateral thinking. Because one of the things I did, I was trying to tease out of you, because puzzles, um, mm. the, the return of pointy click adventures, and there's been, I'm happy to say they have returned. The puzzles in them, the puzzles that you find... They're much better designed now than they were back in the day. And I'm getting that from Eye of Borak, is that you've really, you know, you haven't gone for the ridiculous, obscure stuff. Just think about the tools we've given you. Think about what you can do within that tool set and think about what you have and what things you can interact with. And and you just lean into that. Again, I'm using that phrase a lot, but if you just focus on that, it's not that difficult actually and you will be rewarded by flowing going along with the flow and you very quickly get hold of the humor and the interaction and what's going on them what is it with that bloody squirrel but i'm not going to say a word <laughs> you know, i think that's the most asked question we have what's that bloody squirrel doing what is ever a squirrel doing generally so that's not probably dwell on that but yeah thanks uh thanks um dave for for being on the show it's been no problem at all, uh, it's been wonderful having you on and uh just um all four of those games and jim jam games can be found on steam uh platforms yeah, i know yeah, it's it on windows pc um it's probably worth mentioning actually that um they're now in the halloween sale so you can get them all oh. sent off for the next few days lovely that's very good yeah Definitely, the Eye of Borak is one you definitely want to check. They're all great. Actually, I got to say it's not on sale because um, because it's so recently released, it doesn't yes. qualify for the Steam sale. Ah, right. There you go. But it's still cheap. Indeed. But what platforms are they on? Just to be clear, um, at the moment they only um, run on Windows PCs. Okay. Um, right. That's that's all the games we are currently looking at releasing for Linux, but um, we're. Steam are changing the way that they're supporting um, Linux overall, and we're really 
backing forth with them, trying to get some kind of um, answer from them about what they're going to be supporting, what's the most, basically where we can get the best compatibility for the most users. That's fair enough. And one last question before I let you go, Dave, is uh, what's, what's the name? Jim Jam Jim Games. Games. Yeah. Um, do you know, that that is a good question. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, originally when we, we were chatting about it, I mean, I'm going back so many years now, um, trying to sort of think how it was. I, I, I believe there was some beer involved. Um, but, it, but in a way, I think what we were sort of thinking is Jim Jams being pajamas, it's yes. comfort, it's just comfortable. Right. And I think that's kind of what we sort of ended up with. We wanted something that made you feel cosy. Yeah, and it does. That's it wonderful. Does. It's like putting on your best, most comfortable jacket, even though you really shouldn't wear it anymore because it's very threadbare. You still wear it anyway. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Excellent. Yeah, Westman, thank you very, very much for coming on. You're more welcome to come back and talk about whatever future ventures you have cooked up in your head. No, well, there's a few more um, in the planning, but um, we'll keep it a secret for now. Of course. Again, thanks, Dave. Okay, Chris. Have a good night. Bye.